0: Hey everyone. I just wanted to pop in before we get started and just quickly say that our guest's audio today is not the best. She has good reason for that, though, because our guest is literally in the woods. So please bear with us. And let's get started with an amazing interview today. listening to Raising Curious Learners a podcast from Britannica for parents where we talk to experts and discuss issues and trends in child development education and parenting Welcome back to Raising Curious Learners. I'm Elizabeth Romanski, and my co-host, as usual, is Anne Gadzikowski. Today, we're going to be talking about the surging popularity of nature schools in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. So as schools are trying to figure out how to safely reopen this year, I'm hearing a lot about just outdoor classrooms, outdoor learning, and better ways to be
1: safe while learning this year. Me too. I'm hearing a lot about outdoor learning. And we know that due to concerns about COVID-19, educators are looking for ways that they can teach outdoors because there's plenty of fresh air and there's lots of room to spread out for social distancing. What's interesting to me and to a lot of early childhood educators I work with is that we've been doing outdoor programming for ages. Nature, preschools, forest, kindergartens, those have been really popular in Europe and in parts of the United States for a long time. Yeah, and I actually
0: have heard about them too just in passing, but definitely more so lately. And I've just been really interested in getting to know a lot more about what those kind of schools are like. And so we are very lucky today to be able to speak with one of those educators. So, we are going to be interviewing today Tisha Luthi. She is a teacher and the director of a nature preschool located in the Cincinnati Nature Center. Welcome to our podcast, Tisha. I'm so glad that you got to join us today.
2: Hello. I'm so glad to be here with you guys
1: today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about your nature preschool, where it's located, and what the children do there every day?
2: Sure. We are located in Milford, Ohio, which is about 15 miles northeast of Cincinnati. Maddie. We offer three hour sessions. We've been open now for about nine years. And out of the three hour session, we are usually out about two of those three hours every day. And we haven't missed a day of going outside and being outside since we've opened in nine years.
1: So children are as young as three years old? Yes, we offer three
2: fours and fives. Okay, and you in said our three hour program.
0: blocks, but two of those you go out in the field. So is there okay. a traditional classroom that they you go in- for that other hour?
2: There is, we do have a one room building on site on the property that we turned into our preschool building. So we are a licensed preschool and you know, when licensing comes and does their visits, they are looking at the classroom and kind of seeing what we're doing. But we're typically only in that room about an hour, sometimes less, sometimes a little more, but usually about an hour on a daily basis.
1: So mostly outside. And what is the landscape like? What is the terrain like where the children are are playing and learning?
2: This can be done, you know, on property that's not As lush as this. We are located on about a thousand acres. Oh, wow. And about 65 of those acres are old growth forest. And we have about 14 miles of hiking trails on property. So we are very lucky. We have trails that we do hike on on a daily basis. But with the children, we do go off trail, which is where a lot of our learning and fun happens. Mm -hmm. And the curiosity comes alive. Children encounter all different kinds of animals. We are very lucky in our area locally. We don't really have any venomous snakes that are in our area. So, uh, mm-hmm. well, that's a good thing. That's very good. <laughs> During summer camps, we do find little snakes laying around under logs and stuff. We've encountered animals that have died on the trail overnight, you know, so it does lend itself to a lot of really cool things that we can investigate and learn. We, we come across pileated woodpeckers and many different things that, that can happen throughout our day.
0: You know, for our listeners and all for me, what, what is pileated? Oh, sure.
2: So, <laughs> pileated woodpecker is one one of the largest woodpeckers in the forest. And oh. it's just, it's an amazing sight when you see it. You're talking at least 12 inches tall.
0: Oh my goodness. So like a small crow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so it is, it's, it's, it's very large.
0: I'm fascinated um, with nature. And so I'm, I'm loving this conversation already. And I am curious why the center came about, kind of what was the goal or what was the mission or, or why was it decided to open this sort of school? Cause it's so unique within the States.
2: Yeah. So backstory, Um, My boss, who's been here for years, it was her original, you know, vision and she's an educator and she knew that getting children out continuously multiple times over a long period of time was more impactful than just bringing a quick group out to the nature center and showing them what a trail looks like and being out there and then never seeing them again. Her background is not in early childhood, but she, after doing a bunch of research, she learned that hiring somebody with an early childhood background would be the best for starting a preschool program. So that's when I was hired back in 2011. A few of our teachers that are on staff have an early childhood background. You know, back then she just knew that it was very important. And so that's when I came on board and we um, started our licensed nature preschool.
1: So you're in Ohio. Are you in operation all year round, like even in the dead of winter? We are. Oh my.
2: <laughs> Our preschool program goes from September through May. It's a nine-month program and then we do offer summer camps all summer, which is a different set of children. So we have many wonderful days and then there are a lot of rainy, wet, cold days when it we are lucky enough to get snow. We'll do a little bit of sled riding and we do lots of activities out in the cold. We do experiments where we'll pour some water when it's freezing cold out onto the concrete and do some boot skating in the cold. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, that can be one of the challenges. And when we opened our program, we knew as teachers that we had to set the tone. And no matter how cold it was, we just had to have the right equipment to get out there and do what we do to be an actual nature preschool. You really have to have that want to do that because children love being outside. It's the adults that can get really cold really quick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, you just have to make sure that you are prepared. You know, as a teacher and myself, I get a little colder than some of the other teachers. So I'm constantly, you know, using two pairs of wool socks and hand warmers and things like that. So it's, it's definitely one of those things where you have to be prepared. If I do have a child that, you know, I've noticed that they are getting cold, you know, I'll mention it to the parents that they might need an extra pair of socks or they may need extra sets of gloves that keep getting wet, you know, so it just depends on um, each child. But yeah, it is definitely a challenge.
1: And I know some nature schools and outdoor schools, they have standard attire that all the students wear, they'll have like a big waterproof coverall and some big old boots. Does your school have a uniform like that or do families dress their children themselves?
2: The families dress their children themselves. However, we do give recommendations because over the years, we've kind of found that there are certain types of boots that work best. And as far as snow pants and rain gear, really, we don't dictate you know what they actually wear, but we do suggest or um, lots of extra clothing. There are a set of boots that we always usually tend to say, hey, these work really great, but they don't have to have them. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those um, things that we try to help them find the best equipment.
0: Yeah, it'll just be easier for the kids to actually learn and enjoy if they have the proper equipment. So I'm sure it's just as from a parent, it's appreciated to know like this equipment works and it's recommended.
2: Yeah. And we, we have an open door policy. I'm a parent myself. So even from the very beginning, I said, if there's ever a parent that wants to come and join us and see what it's like, it, it's really neat. Cause in the winter, if I have a child who keeps getting cold, I might invite the parents on the hike and then they can, actually see like what they need oh yeah that can be helpful too and, and parents will pop in they'll say hey i got the day off can i go on the hike with you guys you know so so that could be helpful as well
1: well let's talk about learning um i know that you have a very rich curriculum at your program and the children are not just learning about nature they're learning all kinds of things so talk about your curriculum sure
2: we are Inquiry-based learning. Um, But with that said, one of the things that I love about the program is all of the teachers, they know the Ohio standards inside and out. So for pre-K, our teachers know what they need to know before they start kindergarten. So with that said, you know, with the inquiry-based learning, the role is more on the child than the teacher just telling the child what they need to know. The child has a role in their learning. So my teachers will have a plan, but they understand too that that plan may change and that the group of that they're with may take it in a different direction which would enhance their learning rather than sticking to a direct curriculum that they had set for that day so an example of that was one day we uh, were headed out to check our bluebird boxes to see if there was any new eggs that had been laid that day and it had rained the night before and we haven't seen this happen ever since then but a bunch of snails had come across the trail i mean so many that we couldn't walk without stepping on them the children of course were saving the snails off the trail it was kind of close to our building so we we ran back and got a big piece of white paper and the children started group counting by tens we would hold snails in our hands and we would group count them by tens onto the paper and we would circle them and we ended up group counting by tens 256 snails that day oh my gosh wow <laughs> so th- that's something that you could have never you know planned to happen but that's where it's that child centered learning or that inquiry based learning like the teachers knew okay hey counting by tens is one of those you know math skills that preschool children need to have practice with and so I love taking something that we hadn't planned that day. Then you can always look back and you know what did they learn that day? What what was what was really a rich part of their learning that happened that day and how can we present that. So yeah, I mean that, that's a little bit about what we do. I mean we still to this day we'll find different creatures in the woods that us as teachers we are excited about because we've never seen it before. Mm-hmm. So it's that finding something and being curious with them. I mean some children who are three and come to the program had never picked up a worm before. So that's exciting for them. when we show that excitement with them Mm -hmm. and learning about that worm every year (laughs) with the children. But it's that inquiry-based learning that's uh, really important.
0: Yeah, because there's so many things that can change so quickly in nature. And so in the classroom, sometimes it can feel very repetitive. So this, this just allows for a lot more diversity in kind of the environment and spontaneous learning. Yeah, and
2: there's those natural things that happen throughout the year, like tapping the maple trees, you know, and tasting the sap and, you know, know, understanding, oh, it has to be, you know, above freezing during the day, but freezing at night for that sap to run and be sweet, you know, little things like that. It's so fun for me to help the children learn about their natural environment around them.
1: What about language and literacy? You know, parents and policymakers are always so worried that children are going to learn their ABCs before they go to kindergarten. Yeah, Can you talk about how your nature program focuses on language and literacy?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, every student who comes in when they first arrive, we have what's called sign in. And so the children are are recognizing their name. And of course, we have their name printed with a capital. And so they're learning how to write their first name as they sign in. And sometimes in the beginning of the year, that might look like drawing in sand. It might be learning to write with a big marker or pencil on a whiteboard, then it moves on to paper. And some children who are four who've been in our program for a while, and I have some children who come three years, you know, they may be to the point where they're signing in their first and last name. So that's just one example. But many things we do throughout the day, you know, we go on hikes and we do this little phonics song with them. I won't sing. I'll I'll scare you guys. (laughs) But you know, it's one of those things where I'll ask them what they see and they will say the sounds and they all yell back what sound we're saying. And so there are different ways that we do incorporate that throughout our day.
1: Do you ever bring paper and
2: pencil out into the woods with you? We do. We do what's called sit spots sometimes. The kids have their journals and they take them out and and when I say journals, it's not where we're expecting them to write. It's more of a picture drawing and they will find a, a nice spot on their own where they're drawing in their journal and some children, it only lasts for three seconds and that's where they are developmentally but other children, you know, may sit there for 10 minutes, you know, drawing the tree that they were talking about or the turtle that they saw at the pond that day or the tadpole that we caught you know so depending on where the child is developmentally how long they'll, they'll do that activity but we love taking our journals out on the hikes
0: great Your
2: ABCs
0: and just the nature of your program reminded me of a book that I came across at an REI store. It's called C is for Camping. And so every letter of the alphabet is related to nature, outdoors, camping. It's illustrated by Greg Paprocki, but it's such a cute book. And so if you haven't seen it yet, and if you guys are interested in new books, you should check it out because I loved it. And I just was like in the store flipping through. It's like, only I knew my ABCs this way.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Well, Tisha, tell us. Us more about the families. Why do they choose a nature preschool? And, and tell us about where your families are from.
2: Sure. Most are um, pretty close by. A lot of our families have already been members for years. I, I actually just got a call this morning from a member who have been wanting to get their child into our program before they even had children. So a lot of them are already members of the Nature Center and they know, you know, what we're about. And they know what type of environment we have. So they, they like that. And then others, you know, are people who might hear from others, from friends that we have a program. And for years, we've been having parents ask us about a kindergarten or further. And before all this started with COVID, the last two years, we've been planning on starting a K-2. And so last January, we opened enrollment for our new K-2 program. So we are hosting a um, K through second grade program on site this year for the first time starting in September as well. So some of our families are trickling into that from our preschool program. And that will be, run under the homeschool umbrella, but we have a teacher who's Montessori trained, who is also going to be combining nature with that curriculum, and they'll be outdoors most of their day as well.
1: So have you been hearing from parents because of COVID-19 that they're having a new interest in outdoor learning that they might not have had before? Yes.
2: We've always kind of had our base of people who always wanted this no matter what before all this happened. But then now with this happening, especially for our new K2 program, I have been hearing from new people who would typically be sending their child to the public schools, but with everything going on, they have concerns and they've been looking into our K-2 program. And I have received many new inquiries because of that. And even though you're
1: outdoors, are there new protocols or practices for you because of COVID-19?
2: Yes, definitely. Um, of course, you know, all of the typical, you know, taking temperatures and cleaning and mm-hmm. all of that type of stuff. But with our programs, we've always had small numbers, but we've even reduced those. So like on a typical... typical preschool classroom, we would have had 15, 16 students in a group. But instead of having one group of 15, we're taking that group and splitting it into two groups of eight. So they will be running kind of normal time, normal schedules, but basically utilizing those small groups and utilizing our one room building. One group will be in there, everything gets switched and cleaned. And then the next group, once they're finished with their hike, will be coming back. So um, we're kind of running pretty similar to what we've always done. We're just taking that group and making it smaller. So that there's less chance of children being exposed to more people.
1: So what would you say to educators who are thinking about moving some of their programming outdoors? What do you see as the as the benefits and the challenges?
2: Well, the benefits, you know, are absolutely huge. I mean, as many people already know, like just the health benefits and the, the motor skills that children learn when they're outside and learning risk assessment. I mean, when we're when we're outside and there's a fallen tree and the children are climbing on and learning to walk on a log, those children are learning to take risks. You know, we always talk to the children about like let's see if this is safe. Let's, let's see if this log is, you know, solid. What do you think? Do you think it's going to break? You know, so they're learning how to um, assess situations and they build their confidence with that. So there's so many pros to it. I've actually been working with some local people around our city about how to get a typical classroom outside. And I, I think the hardest part is as a teacher going outside the fence, because you have your playground, you know, teachers are so used to going out onto their playground, you know, letting the children go and play, and they look at it as a playground. But changing that mindset of the adults, because I think a lot of people think that, oh, how would you take three-year-olds, a group of, I don't know, eight or nine or 12, three-year-olds outside of a fence and keep them safe. But the the neat part is we we have many ways of utilizing our techniques of keeping them close by. Occasionally, you might have one you have to stay with closely, but I would say, you know, 99% of our children, we never have to ask them to stay close by. They don't want to go too far from the adult that they feel safe. With. That's one of our biggest things when we hire teachers, you know, we talk about making the children feel safe and secure. That is your very first goal. At three and four, we are the very first school experience that they're seeing. Mm-hmm. So we want them to go away happy and excited about school. So that's your biggest thing. You know, we have these things called duck calls. We buy them at sporting goods places. They're pretty loud, but you can push them together and they make a loud sound like a duck. We play these hiding seat game with it. Children know anytime they hear that call that they come running to. So when we're out in the woods and we're exploring and children are a little farther away from us and we always say you have to be able to see an adult, we know what's going on at all times. As soon as I do that duck call, they all come running back to me there are strategies out there, but some teachers can be a little bit nervous about taking a group out. And at first, it might take some extra adult hands to start feeling that safety and really know what kids are going to do. But I think that's the biggest barrier is looking at your playground, like a, an outdoor classroom. And then the other thing is going outside of your typical playground area. So I think those are your main boundaries.
0: Mm-hmm. What about for parents? I mean, for parents, I'm sure there's also a lot of varying opinions and concerns about a classroom like this. And I wonder if there's also not a lot of attention about nature schools. And so parents don't even know necessarily that it's an option or what it's about, because, you know, just recently you guys opened up to K through two. But after the preschool program, I'm assuming they go to public schools or private. And so then I'm sure parents are also thinking of, okay, well, how are they going to make that transition into more of a traditional school classroom? And are they going to have the same kind of success? academically as if someone went to a regular preschool. So
2: what I like to explain to them and and anybody who has children and you've, you've gone through these different stages, mine are now teenagers, but children have so many years from K through 12, if they're in a public school or a private school or a school setting, they have so many years of sitting in their desks being told exactly what they have to do every second of the day. When you are three and four and you're allowed to be curious about learning and you are out hands-on learning. We caught a toad yesterday at camp and every child in the group was holding this toad. And then we were at the pond last week catching frogs. Okay, frogs and toads totally different habitats, live in totally different areas. These children caught tadpoles at different stages. So when they're in their biology class or when they're spelling the word worm, when they're in the second grade on a spelling test, they've actually had experience with that. When the children are able to be outside, have that curiosity, have that base for learning, they tend to succeed more in that type of setting because they've had adults in their life that value their interest. And, you know, you have some children that are really interested in birds, and you have some children could care less about birds, you don't force the children who could care less about birds to tally how many birds come to the bird feeder. But if you have Mm -hmm. a child who's interested in that, that's something that will really value them as they're older. So I think it's that individual learning and valuing children as individuals that can really help them succeed in life rather than putting them in a a desk or even making them do worksheets at preschool age, which is totally not developmentally appropriate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the hands-on part is so important. important at this stage. And I've read reports
1: that show children with special needs actually benefit from outdoor learning. Children who may have difficulty paying attention in a traditional school environment tend to thrive in an outdoor learning environment and children with delays in physical development also benefit from an outdoor learning environment. Have you seen that in your program?
2: I have, I really have. You know what's so interesting? You know, I've been doing this for years and I personally would never want to go back into teaching in an indoor class. Classroom all day. I have noticed in a four-room wall classroom, you have your children that are um, always doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. They are always being praised because they're so on it. And then in that classroom, you may see, you know, you have those children where the teachers may always say, well, they're always climbing the walls. Mm-hmm. They're always on top of this child or they're trying to jump off mm-hmm. of this. And so sometimes the labels can happen when you're in a classroom. So what I've noticed, which is so interesting, when we are out in the woods, I'll give you an example. example. Example of something that happened. When we went out to this area, it's kind of a little ravine. They were in their rain pants. It was kind of muddy, wet, and we allowed the children to kind of climb down this little ravine. So you had your children who typically would have maybe been getting in trouble in the classroom or you know climbing the walls. They became the leaders. Mm. And the children who maybe would have been in that typical classroom of the ones always doing exactly the right thing, they were the ones that stayed up at the top and were very nervous and anxious. And so those leaders that shimmied down this ravine area and they used the vines to climb down. They were helping these other children. They were convincing them like, okay, if you put your foot here and you grab onto this and I'll help you down. And they were assisting those students to be comfortable and to get out of their comfort zone a little. And so it it was so neat. And they were so proud of themselves by the end of the day. I do see that being outdoors can really change the outlook of what adults can see in the child. And as far as that goes, it's really interesting to me to see those children be so excited excited about learning and become the leaders of the group.
1: And to work together so collaboratively. Mm -hmm. There must be so much rich social interaction that happens when the children are outdoors together.
2: Yes. Children will find their friends and they start to develop cooperative play, you know, as they get into four, four or and a half. It's interesting when they're inside the classroom, sometimes they tend to be around certain children. And then when they're outside, they, you know, sometimes those relationships happen that you never see happen in the classroom. And so they do tend to play in different groups as well. It's kind of neat. Very neat. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: So what about you? How did you get involved in outdoor education? What's your story?
2: You know, I- kind of fell into it a little bit. I had went back to school a little bit later in life and I always thought I would be teaching in a first grade classroom and I've always been an outdoor. We camped a lot with my children when they were younger. So we were always camping and early childhood was very important to me. So when this job came available and I interviewed for it, I really found that this is my passion to be outside with young children. And so I, I kind of fell into it and I absolutely love what I do. I don't feel that I could be doing anything else.
1: Mm-hmm. What was one of those moments early on when you realized that this was such a great setting for you as a teacher? Was there a particular situation that really struck you?
2: You know, with doing this for many years, um, being, you know, in a classroom in different settings throughout my life, you know, there was always like, I don't know if it was pressure or you felt like it just didn't feel right when you're having to make a group of children sit down and do something. In this setting, I think it, it felt so right from the very beginning here. You know, it's one of those outlooks of I, I want the group of children that I'm with, because I still teach every Tuesday, Thursday, <laughs> this is like, so cliche, but I feel like they're my children, you know, so like, uh-huh. I, I treat the classroom like I would want my children to be treated at the age of three and four. And I think mm-hmm. that that is the key to having a good feeling. And when you're teaching and you have that good feeling of knowing that, you know, even though you might have a child melting down, you understand the developmental of what's happening and you're there to, you know, assist them through this and help them get through it. I think it's just that gut feeling of knowing that this is right and that the children have a really good environment and nothing's being forced upon them that isn't developmentally appropriate. You think it's just a mom gut feeling that like it just feels right. Mm -hmm.
1: And the other teachers, too? Do they share kind of the same background and perspective that you do?
2: They do. I mean, we all have different backgrounds, but when we hire somebody, we have them run a circle time and lead a hike right away once we know that they might be on a person that falls into place with us. One of my teachers has a uh, music background, so she brings a little bit of that quality to the program. A couple of them are early childhood, and then one was a fifth or sixth grade science teacher. One's an art teacher. So they all bring different perspectives to the class, but how does it feel and how are they with the children? is the most important part of them being a teacher and how comfortable they are outdoors because that is you know one of the biggest parts of our curriculum and so you can't have somebody who's really nervous about being outside or somebody who never wants to be out in the rain I mean we're out in the pouring down rain yeah Uh (laughs) you have to know what you're getting into you know
0: it sounds wonderful it does sound wonderful and I feel like probably a lot of parents who are listening are kind of thinking well I wonder how I can find a nature school for my kids obviously we aren't even in Ohio and a lot of our listeners Aren't so? Do you have any recommendation for parents who are interested in trying to find a local nature school, and also how they can make sure that it's the right fit, or kind of a a nature school that you know is—I don't know if accredited—is the right word?
2: You know, I think when we started nine years ago or so, I think there were twenty-five ish around the United States. That number has like skyrocketed, and now there's private companies doing it. There are private childcare centers doing the whole nature-based learning. So, I guess just searching in your local area to see if there is anything like that around, but then also, you know, let's say things get crazy with COVID and things are shut down, I think not to forget that even in the winter time as parents, you know, we can utilize our backyard like another room of our house, mm-hmm. especially at that preschool and toddler age. It's just remembering the importance of it and not always saying to them when they want to go out in the rain or when they want to go out in the snow or in, or even just outside as parents, we can provide that as well. But there are many new programs that have popped up over the years that, you know, you might have something close by that might be available and then always going and visiting. I mean, over the years I've had parents that, you know, want to come and see what we're like and I invite them on a hike. You know, now it can get a little tricky with COVID and you can only have so many in a group and, you know, you really have to space it all out, but, you know, just seeing if it's the right feel and right fit for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, this is just making me want to go outside. Yeah. <laughs> It really is. <laughs> I know we're getting close to wrapping up, but as a final question for Tisha, do you have any final advice for parents or do you have any kind of story to tell about something interesting that happened recently at the school? You
2: know, I guess, uh, you know, thinking about final advice for parents, I think it, with everything going online and people being, you know, worried about everything going on, trying to remember going back to the basics, especially with young children. I mean, really, if you think about it, not too, many generations ago, children were allowed to be at home and running around barefoot. You know, we've gotten to the point now where if they're in a childcare or in a preschool program, you know, oh no, you can't take your shoes off because, you know, if the rules say we have to keep them on, you know, because mm-hmm. we don't want anybody to get hurt. So I think it's remembering those little things that kids may need going back to those basics mm-hmm. of jumping in a mud puddle or even being barefoot, you know, allowing them to have those experiences as a young child before they have to sit down and uh, be tired to our computers kind of like many of us adults are <laughs> mm-hmm. um, giving them that time to do that
0: yeah mm-hmm. you know even for parents who are listening who don't have kids three to five it's a good lesson right now just to remember going back to the basics because regardless of what age your child is or even for you with everything you know unfortunately so chaotic and isolated going back to the basics and being a little bit more free and comfortable with nature or just that feeling is is important especially right now i think that's very good advice oh uh, thank you yeah
2: and a quick story about that you know we had one little guy who when he would first get to preschool in the morning at 8 30 he just refused to wear shoes I mean it was just one of those things you know and I knew that this child wasn't going to grow up and be 16 and not want to wear shoes for the first like 15 20 minutes we would allow him to be barefoot and then by the time we started our hike he always knew okay like one circle time happened he had to get his shoes on and head out you know and it's just being a little bit flexible especially during this time of um, all of the anxiety that the children are having it may come out in weird ways that parents would put the two and two together, but just being patient and you know allowing a little bit of flexibility with this age group. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a great example. We have the rest of our lives to wear shoes, so
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: you don't have that's to be right. in a hurry. I mean, I'm I'm not wearing shoes right now, so I'm <laughs> I'm not wearing <laughs> shoes right now either. <laughs> Whatever. but I really enjoyed our conversation and thank you so much for joining Anne and I today. And yeah, it's been a wonderful learning experience. And I'm excited to find some more nature schools in in my area, just out of curiosity. Well, thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you. and, And good luck with the beginning of your school year in the fall. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning
0: in to this episode of Raising Curious Learners. Special thanks to our guest today, Tisha Luthi, teacher and director at Cincinnati Nature Center's Nature Preschool, for giving us a peek into the woods and helping us learn a bit about outdoor education options in the midst of COVID-19. I'm Elizabeth Romansky and my co-host is Anne Gazikowski. Our audio engineer and editor for this program is Emily Goldstein. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts leave us a review, and share with your friends. Thank you again to our listeners who stuck with us. I know that our guest Tisha, her audio was not the best today, but like I had said, she was in the woods. So thank you all to our listeners, and we look forward to you joining us on our next show. This program is copyrighted by Encyclopedia Britannica, Incorporated. All rights reserved.